Welcome to Mac Bytes episode 12. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode we'll be reviewing our Mac related experiences of the week and looking at all things audio. But first, a solution to a problem that we mentioned last week. Yes, indeed. I mentioned uh, having problems with Quicksilver. Um, what was happening was, when I was installing some new software, on occasions it was there immediately in Quicksilver. As soon as I started typing its name, um, it appeared and I was good to go. But on other occasions, one of two things happened. Either it wasn't there and I had to wait for the catalogue to update, or worse still, nothing was there. Um, no matter what application name I started to type, I got nothing listed at all. Anyway, Dave Verwer posted the solution to the show notes for episode 11. And he said, with the Quicksilver launch window displaying, um, press Command and R and it will force the thing to recatalog. Of course, needless to say, all week, Quicksilver's been behaving itself impeccably and I haven't had the chance to try it. So now I'm waiting for Quicksilver to misbehave so I can use Dave's solution. But uh, that, according to Dave, is the solution. Open the Quicksilver launch window and press Command and R. So thank you very much for that, Dave. I am endeavouring to try it. Typical. I think Quicksilver's heard that I know what the problem is and now it's behaving. No fun misbehaving. If you can fix it, is there? Yeah, thanks for that, Dave. I tried it as well and I didn't seem to find it, it had any effect. So I'm going to wait and see uh, until Quicksilver misbehaves and uh, try it. Anyway, something else that uh, I've been trying this week is Evernote. It all started off because I had a, a list of topics that I was going to put on uh, my blog. I was working at work, so I was handicapped to start with. And uh, because I had a Windows PC, I just thought I'd, uh, I'd make sure everyone understands that uh, that point. But I, th I think now people who've been listening to us a while, for a while, they know that I'm handicapped at work, don't they? You're handicapped at work in more ways than one, and the Windows PC is just a part mm, of it. It certainly is. But uh, I was working on a, a project on Microsoft Access, and as I was building things, and as I was finding things out, I thought these would be really useful topics for my blog. So what do you think I did? I know what you did. I wrote the shame of yes, it. Yes, I wrote them down on the back of an envelope, literally, because that's all I had in my bag. So I came home and I showed Elaine. I said, look what I've got, a list of topics for my blog, literally on the back of an envelope. Envelope. And what did you say? I was horrified. <laughs> I said that you really needed to use Evernote. Now, I didn't say what's that because I've actually heard it on a couple of podcasts. Uh, I just haven't got around to uh, trying it yet. But I installed it last week. Um, I've not had a chance to look at it extensively, but my back of an envelope was captured using the iSight camera on my uh, iMac and it appeared straight in Evernote, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I love Evernote. Why do you love Evernote? Well, it's got great capture facilities. Um, not only can you use the iSight, but you've also got a clipping utility. So you can send anything to Evernote from your desktop you can also capture via a browser so if you are browsing and you, you're not on your own Mac um, you can also add a little bookmark sort of a JavaScript bookmark and it will enable you to clip straight from the browser to the online service you can also send an email to, to your Evernote private address and that will appear in your notebooks um, you can use the image from your eyesight or a mobile phone so no more post-it notes 
The good thing about the images are um, it runs OCR on them when you synchronise and it works great. Um, stuff like the example they give is um, a girl in a t-shirt and when you run the OCR on it, it recognises the slogan on the t-shirt. So you can even search on your images. Uh, there's great synchronisation as well from the Mac to Evernote, which is the hosted service. Um, you can get all your stuff when you're away from the Mac. It has got mobile phone access, and I'm assuming they'll be writing something spectacular for the iPhone. I live in homes. Um, there's even a Windows client as well, so if you've got the rights to install software, you can put this software application on your Windows box. Um, it doesn't look identical, but it's not at all bad to the um, Mac version. So if you do have the permission to install anything, which I know at work you don't, then you could use that. But if not, you can always use your browser, Well, can't you? You can, but it doesn't fully support IE6, does it? But then, you know, what does? And uh, the saga I had with this was that uh, I, I right-clicked on it because uh, you, you get in the browser, in the, in the, the Evernote um, screen, you get this option to install uh, this one-click button onto your browser. Uh, and it wouldn't allow me to install it onto the browser bookmark bar in IE because you don't have a browser bookmark bar. I right-clicked on it and I, I thought I would have the option to, to install it, but all I could do is add to my favourites. And even then it came up and it said, are you sure you want to add this potentially unsafe option to your favourites? But uh, <laughs> Don't you love IE? I, would, I went ahead and did it anyway. But then what I thought I'd do is I thought I would take a snapshot of a page of our intranet site that I wanted to show you offline. So I took a snapshot of it, load of pictures in it, and I thought I'll show you when I get home. And when I showed you at home, because uh, it was the pictures I wanted you to see, uh, the, the pictures weren't there. Mm. Well, that could be that the browser isn't supporting it properly, or maybe it's some security that's um, on the system there. Well, I'm going to try it again this week using a um, page on the internet, uh, and then we'll see if it's IE6. Mm. Uh, but I'll, I'll report back next week and uh, let you know. Well, hopefully they'll... Um, well, I would say, hopefully. <laughs> Silly me. I was going to say, hopefully they'll upgrade to IE7 and it'll work for you, but that would mean Vista, so maybe not. <clears throat> well, we're moving up to Vista, but not till next year, so uh, we'll see. We'll see. Well, the good news about um, Evernote is it's now in open beta as well. So there was already hundreds of thousands of people using it, and now it's gone into open beta. You don't need an invitation anymore. So um, everybody can try it, and uh, it's well worth a try. It certainly is. I second that. On to another experience that I had this week. There I was with my MacBytes bag and my MacBytes mug, which arrived this week. I'd even twittered uh, last week that I was off to work with them. You know, a bit of self-promotion. Oh, I do. And when I was at work, I decided that I'd take a photograph of my mug and my bag next to my... You mean the mug with the handle, don't you? Not your that's, mug. mug. That's <clears throat> the mug with the handle, yes. Yes, that's the one. Next to my Windows PC. I then decided that I would publish said picture on my blog, but, and here's the saga, all I had to take the photo with was a cheap and cheerful Vodafone 1.3 megapixel camera. Having said that, in hindsight, I suppose I could have used the eyesight off my MacBook. But anyway, this Why phone... Why make life easy for yourself when you can use Windows stuff? Mm, that is indeed true. This phone was a stopgap because my last phone broke a few months ago and the iPhone wasn't out. So I'd taken this photograph and obviously I wanted to get it up onto my blog so I inserted the USB cable into my camera, stuck the other end into my PC, nothing. 
didn't even recognise it as a device, didn't even come up and say you don't have the authority to insert an external device into this computer, which is normally what happens on my Windows PC at work. So what I did is I booted up the MacBook, I turned on the Bluetooth on the MacBook, turned on the Bluetooth on the phone, and finally after about three attempts the MacBook did find the phone, although it did actually pick up a colleague's phone five yards away first. I wonder if she had any interesting pictures on her phone. Mmm, I didn't check. I should have You were done. slow there. Mmm. So what I did, I managed to copy the file onto the MacBook from the phone. I then had to copy the file onto a USB pen drive from the MacBook. I then had to insert the pen drive into a colleague's PC because, I've, as I've already said, mine won't accept pen drives. And then I had to ask my colleague to email it to me and upload it to my blog. And the picture is there for you all to see. Was it worth it? <laughs> Was it worth it? Mm, well, I really, really, really now want my iPhone. <laughs> getting getting desperate now, getting desperate. Well, I was so desperate this weekend that uh, mine ended up on the floor of the car three times. So it's not dead yet, but uh, I'm trying. You really are, aren't you? Really mm. trying to kill it off. If, and, Actually, uh, who was driving when it went sailing across the floor, Mike? Uh, I was. Mm, you were. I think between us we're really trying to kill it off, aren't we? And uh, Yeah, um, the uh, scorch marks are still there as you accelerated away from the lights. And justify getting the iPhone. Indeed. Which leads us on nicely to this week's iPhone, iPhone, iPhone. The iPhone, iPhone, iPhone chat. I was having a chat with a colleague at work who has got an iPhone. I'm super duper jealous. Uh, she said that she can't wait for iPhone 2 and a Super Monkey Ball game. Oh, dear me. Which takes us back to something we mentioned last week. Mm. That we're far more interested in productivity apps. We are. So I actually said to her, I said, well, you know, I'm far more interested in productivity applications. And she said, oh, I am too, but I really want this game. We can't talk about games because we'll show ourselves up something chronic. What is Super Monkey Ball? I don't know. Maybe she can write in and tell us all about it. That's a good idea. You should take some audio stuff in and she can tell you all about it and we can put it on the show. Mm. Yes, yes. We're going to leave games well alone after the last embarrassment of our gaming experience. So um, we shall wait to see what Super Monkey Ball is all about. Maybe it's a productivity app and we can get away with it. You never know. You never know. You if you've know. got a monkey, maybe it is. No, least said about that, the better. Mm. <laughs> Though I did like the look of band. I can't make music to save my life, but it looked cool. So maybe I'm one. getting this gaming thing. I haven't seen band. What is it's it? A, it's a little bit like Garage Band, but for your iPhone, apparently. Now that sounds cool. Now you so say you're interested now. Mm. <laughs> Just not in, in monkeys, but no. never mind. No. You'll probably find it's nothing to do with monkeys. Yeah, probably. In the telling, it won't be. <laughs> and I, I could say something else it might not be to do with, but we'd lose our clean tag. So we, we move would. on, move on. Move on, move on. Adobe TV. Oh, don't. Adobe TV, great idea. It all, is. It works fantastic. Well, it used to work fantastic. All these video clips on, uh, on the internet, all to do with Adobe products. Um, I was wanting to watch something last week about Flex and uh, had a bit of a horrendous experience. Um, oh, there I was, fired it up, um, tried it on Safari, and uh, 30 seconds into the video, what happened? You broke my internet connection. I certainly did. The whole of our internet connection went down, and I had to go down and uh, reboot But you the... denied it was you, of course. 
I did the first time, mm. and the second time... I think you said the third and fourth as well. Yeah, but... I, it can't be me, I, I seem to recall being said. Three days later when I tried it again, having decided it wasn't all right, ISP doing maintenance, I think mm. uh, I decided it was me. Yeah, and every time you tried, you took it down. Yes, but then you tried it and you broke it as well. Yes, but that was after you broke it the last time and you said to me, uh, I'm thinking that it is Adobe TV that's breaking it, so I had to stop you doing things and uh, get back into old system admin role. Oh, I thought those those days were gone. But no, I had to try it too. Uh, I managed a little bit longer than you. I don't know why, uh, a couple of minutes, but uh, it went again. So, um, so ensued two hours of head scratching and uh, general pontification as to what was going on. Um, really was the planets aligning against us. We can get it to work on Windows. We can even get it to work on Windows in parallels. So we know it's not the Mac. We know it's not the cabling and it's not the router and it's, it's not the ISP at that point. Um, we've tracked it down to the fact that if we use Safari or Firefox or any other browser on a Mac um, via our ISP, which is B, it hangs up on us. Totally hangs up. Doesn't even go into reboot mode. We've actually got to go and turn it off and turn it back on again. So pain in the posterior, that is. So is anybody else having this problem or is it just me? Because I've got a sneaking suspicion if I get in touch with Apple and say I've got a problem, they'll say, well, it's not us. And I'm pretty sure Adobe would be saying, well, it's not us. And I can convince, I'm sure that anybody else that I contact with regard to it is going to say that it's not them either. So it really is one of those planets aligning issues. It seems to be very, very narrow using B, using a Mac and trying to access Adobe TV. But it does work on other ISPs. We've tried that. Um, we've tried everything really, haven't we now? We have. There is one and it's last, not working. There is one last thing for me to try. Go on. And that is to try it at work on IE6. Oh. But no, no. Yes, but you know, even if it worked, so what? Because we're not going to do that. Mm. <laughs> we're not going to. Imagine we might have to. We might have to be resort to watching Adobe TV via Windows, which is it's just so shaming. Because Adobe also have a media player, and um, the Adobe Media Player, and you can watch um, videos on there as well. It's sort of like iTunes ish, without half the features. You get the idea. And that doesn't work either. It has exactly the same symptom. I even upgraded the Flash Player from Flash 9 to um, the one at Adobe Labs, which is a beta of Flash 10, and that made no difference either. So I really can't track it down any more than saying it's sort of when three things come together. So it's when you're trying to watch Adobe TV and you're on the Mac um, and you're on B. And other than that, I can't narrow it down anymore. And I wish I could, because then I could get in touch with the right party. But at the moment, all I can see is a blame game going on. And uh, nobody will be wanting to take responsibility for that. So, guys, out there, what could it possibly be? Come to my aid. OK, uh, thank you for that. that. So that wraps up our look at uh, the world of the Mac this week. Right, and uh, now we're going to have a look at all things audio. Um, there's a lot of different categories of audio software, depending on the precise functionality that you want. Um, if you're just looking to capture stuff, then you've got things like Audio Hijack Pro and a new application called Tape Deck. If you want to be able to capture and edit, then you've got things like GarageBand or Wiretap Studio. There's then fully featured audio editing, so things like Audacity, Amadeus Pro, Sound Studio. If it's just editing you're wanting to do, um, and it happens to be M4As, then there's Fission. 
If you're not into editing the thing at all, you just happen to have some files and you want to convert them from one format to another, there's another category of software that will do that. There's things like Audio Hub um, or Sound Converter, and that's just a few off the top of my head, but they're, they're the general categories. So um, let's have a look at um, what we use and what we do with it. Um, Audio Hijack Pro is uh, the first application I ever bought for the Mac, so a good claim to fame for it there. Um, what that allows you to do is record from any source. So it can be your system, it can be streaming, audio, microphones, anything really. And the hijack part of it means that it isolates the sound to be recorded. So it wouldn't pick up, for example, any mail pings as new mail arrives um, if you've got it to record from the microphone. And we're actually using this right now. That's how uh, we capture the audio for the podcast. We are indeed. And just going back to the point that you've made, uh, I've listened to podcasts and I've watched tutorials in the past where I have heard the system sounds and I've heard mail pinging in, or I've even heard somebody turning up the volume up and down. Yeah, I've seen that as well. Um, it's obviously what they're using for it, that they've not isolated the sound. So you won't hear any mail pinging from us, but you might hear ambulances going past. We're on the ambulance route. And or the dog. Uh, if the ambulances go past, he has a whole little way of greeting them personally and you will definitely know about it if that happens while we're recording. In fact I think somewhere we've got a video of it we might have to put that on YouTube for them to have a look at. That was a classic one you captured there. It was whilst he was out on his walk. Yes it, it's well worth seeing that isn't it and even better to hear it so we'll have to dig that out. Anyway back to your Hijack. Uh, you can listen to one stream while you're recording another as well so if you stream one source into Safari and you stream the other into Firefox, you can record them at the same time. And if you've got the sound going on both, it sounds like a complete jumble. But what Audio Hijack does is it separates them out and gives you two clean recordings, one of the first one, one of the second. So um, that works brilliantly. It's also a fantastic way to hijack the sound of an application and to mute it. And you think, why on earth would I want to do that? Well, where I've done it is, I visited a site and there was this awful music playing. You remember when HTML4 came out and Navigator 3 and you could have a background sound? <laughs> Spawn of the devil that was. So yesterday, Oh, that. indeed. This was sort of last century, but unfortunately it was there and it was very loud. I couldn't do a thing with it. We've um, still got clients that want us to do that, you know. <sighs> Yes, but those kind of clients can be well avoided. Oh, dear. Mm. It's like the old flash intro, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, well, what you can do with this is, because they, if you think about it, there isn't a way to sort of use the volume control to... Well, obviously, you can you can turn the sound off, you can you mute it, but if you happen to be trying to watch the ITV, then that's not going to work for you. And things like Firefox have plugins with audio stuff, but Safari doesn't, so you, you can't just turn the sound down on Safari. Well, so what I did was I hijacked the sound on um, Safari using Audio Hijack and then just pressed the mute button in Audio Hijack and peace was restored. It just completely muted the thing. So it's good for that as well. Um, it's a good tip to use it for that if you've got a need for that. Very, very useful. Um, what I use Audio Hijack for a lot is to transfer old tapes and vinyl to digital files. So um, that's one that gets a lot of use here. And as I say, it was the first one that I bought. Alternatives to it, um, there's Wiretap Studio, which is from the people who make Snaps Pro, Ambrosia software. Uh, I have actually got a license for that. I got it from uh, Mac Heist, but I haven't actually had a go with it, purely because um, I have heard good things about it. 
but I haven't tried it because I had such a job with Snaps Pro, getting it installed, uninstalled, um, strange license messages about needing to contact them for an up-to-date one every time you install it that I thought, you know, I just want to edit a file. I don't really want to be going through all these hoops. But I have heard good things about Wiretap Studio. So um, that's the one to capture audio with. There's also a new kid on the block for uh, audio capture. Um, fascinating concept. It's called Tape Deck. And it actually looks like a tape deck. Um, yeah, I love the interface. The interface that. is fantastic, isn't it? it it's just zero learning curve because it looks like um, an old tape recorder from the 80s um, and believe it even makes the sounds to go with it and I saw the interface and I thought oh how cool is that I've got to have a go of that really I, I don't really need it it's one of those pieces of software that I use audio hijack so I do not need tape deck but the interface is so appealing that I'm tempted anyway and that when I sat and thought about it and thought no you do not need any more software you have over 200 apps you do not need any more I sat and I thought, actually, it would be a brilliant present for my dad, who has a Mac, and he does play around with audio a bit. And, of course, the interface is just so obvious what you do. It wouldn't take much teaching, would it? So it is one of those apps that is amazingly good from the UI point of view. Yeah, it's uh, something that I would like to try, really just to, to play around with it, because as the name of the website, Super Mega Ultra Groovy, suggests, it does sound like that sort of groovy kind of application <laughs> yeah the guy's just gone full time there um there was a piece about um the history of tape deck how it was developed how the concept progressed and how it got to tape deck 1.0 uh, it's a really interesting piece to read so um i'll put the link in the show notes um again it's just it's just so clever that the concept of it is very simple but nobody else has thought of it had they and uh, the tapes that you capture the actual audio captures they are treated as a tape and they appear on the right hand side of the interface in in looking like the edge of a tape and you click it and then it starts to play that tape but if you're in your finder and you use um quick look they actually look like a tape with, with tape labels on and, and written you know written labels on them so uh, very very clever like that idea i might have to give that a go anyway i'm so tempted so on on the on the premise of getting it for my father i think i might be having a go with that mm, i could see that happening yes that, that, that's going to happen isn't it you know it's going to happen um again it's a little bit like audio hijack um i know it can capture streaming because i've been reading the um support forums it does need soundflower to do that but i think audio hijack needs soundflower to do that it does as far as i know yeah as far as i know it does i know it, it asks you to install it i'm not sure how far it would get with its recording without it um, tape deck will work without it but to capture the system audio you do need it i'm not sure about wiretap no idea how that handles that so again it's similar in concept to audio hijack and wiretap but um, just a really cute interface with that one so uh, that was that one uh, other things that we use um, obviously garage band you can do your audio capture straight into that um, you can edit in it music making and podcast editing so uh, we actually edit mac bytes in garage band we did try recording straight into it um, using iChat, which you are supposed to be able to do and it did sort of work up to a point um, what happens is it makes a multi-track recording of each person involved in the iChat. so one person initiates this recording um, and then if you've got two three four five people 
on the chat at the same time. Everybody gets a track of their own. So um, that was, sounded great and when it started it was uh, going along with itself quite nicely. Unfortunately it failed spectacularly and uh, we ended up with no recording. Um, but being me, belt and braces, um, I'd already said to everybody, uh, can you audio hijack it as well? So I was expecting sort of two recordings to have a play around with, see which one sounded better, but uh, ended up with uh, just the one from everybody because it, it just stopped working. Uh, we, we did give it another go. I think we tried it two or three times and every time it failed. So I think it'd be okay for sort of five minutes if that was what you were trying, but it failed at about 15, 20 minutes for us. So um can't recommend it for that but uh, for editing the podcast we've had no problems with it at all have you had a go with garage band i know you don't edit the podcast but uh i have played with the music side of garage band um, oh, scary nothing major but i think the the old musician in me was coming out um for anyone who doesn't know when i was a kid i used to play the piano and at school i played the clarinet um so I thought I'd have a go with Magic Garage Band, which uh, is a bit of a toy in there. Uh, it's like a, an orchestra, and you can just pick and choose instruments and, and, and different styles of music. Um, and I even did actually try and go into Garage Band itself at one time and, and play around with the instruments there. But uh, as regards anything uh, productive, shall we say, mm. um, no, I've not actually played with uh, tried anything with Garage Band. Oh dear, dear me. No, I did have a look at Magic Garage Band, but I, di I didn't even get as far as taking anything to Garage Band with it. Um, I have no experience with, with music like that at all, so um, I wouldn't put anybody through it. You know, Bad enough you showing your holiday snaps to them in endless slideshows without subjecting people to music that, well, music in inverted commas, that I have personally generated. You know, we don't want to be doing that. We did have a presentation, didn't we, at the, uh, the Mac Club? Last we did yes on, sam um, did that and sam she, did that yeah she was great with it i think she could do fixing stuff as well but uh, there again she is um a musician and a specialist at it and we're not <laughs> so just because we have garage band we don't intend to, to make people suffer with it <laughs> no not at all uh, and in, in terms of podcasting i think if you were doing a if you were a sole presenter podcast um i don't think you'd have the trouble in garage band that i had i think it was trying to link it in with iChat that did it um that, that put the last nail in its coffin there but uh, certainly one person recording into it shouldn't experience the problems that i did so um yes garage band is something that i use every week when i'm editing out um our little faux pas <laughs> as you can imagine recording goes on for quite a while anyway let's leave in garage band behind um what i wouldn't do in garage band is try and sort of edit audio and things like that i know i know it could be done but to me there are better tools that are actually intended for that purpose um i did sit there and i found myself um about 12 months after getting my mac thinking i need to actually edit some audio and i'm sat there thinking now what should i try and i did think of garage band but again it, it just the interface seems to me more of more of an editing suite rather rather than um, you know editing podcasts, putting together multiple tracks rather than actually just topping and tailing something. Because, for instance, the scrolling from one end of the audio to another can be quite slow if the piece is long. And I didn't actually have anything at all that I'd just bought for that job, but I had bought a bundle of software and in it came something called Amadeus Pro. So I installed that and uh, had a look at it and it, it just felt right immediately so um 
You can use that for adding effects, file conversions, and I use it for batch processing. Um, it's got good batch processing facilities. So if I had a file um, and I wanted to split it into individual parts, so I've recorded, say, an album, and it's got like 10 tracks in one big file, you can actually mark the places that you want to separate it and separate them all at once at the end. So you don't have to mark the place and then save one out, mark the second place, save that one out. You can actually mark the whole lot and then split the file. So I've used that quite a bit. Um, again, literally just because it was in that bundle. Um, I've now got another one that came in another bundle called Sound Studio. I think you've got a copy of that as well, haven't you, Mike? I have, but I haven't used it yet. No, I haven't. Um, I installed it, had a look at the interface. It looked very similar to Amadeus, but Again, that you can have... Is there such a thing as too much software? I think there is. Oh, I didn't think there was. Especially where mm. browsers are concerned. Oh, that was low. <laughs> that was low. And and we've got to think about how many audio editing pieces of software I've got as well now. So, yes, but so, each one does its own little job. It does. You see, this is what I keep saying. Each one does its own little job. And when I have a good look at Sound Studio, I'm sure I'll come up with something that that does so well that I won't want to use anything else for it. But um, that's what I use Amadeus for. Um, I've also done conversions with it, but that was until um, I found something else later. So uh, I have done conversions with it, and it does work very well. The only thing I've found with it is, and it could be the size of the file that I'm working with, it has a habit of making the machine run very, very slowly while it's doing its stuff. So it's the kind of job, if you've got you know, quite a bit to do in the batch processing, that I leave it doing overnight, and so I'm not struggling along with anything else while it struts its stuff. Um, but uh, yes, that works rather well on most files. I think I took to Amadeus because from Windows I used um, Goldwave. Um, and Goldwave was, again, very intuitive. So if you're stuck on Windows at any point and you want to do a similar job, then have a look at um, Goldwave. Uh, one thing that Amadeus and Sound Studio um, aren't really intended to do is edit M4A files. Um, I have a lot of lossless M4A recordings and there is only one editor I've found that will let you edit those without having to convert them to something else and that's Fission from Rogue Amoeba. They're the people who make Audio Hijack Pro. So whereas Wiretap Studio has the capture ability and the editing ability in one package, um, Audio Hijack has this sort of complementary product called Fission, which gives you the editing capabilities. And it integrates quite nicely with Audio Hijack as well. So um, Fission's a good one for editing M4As. You know, I looked at Fission and I just couldn't really get to grips with the interface. It's the the um, the playhead type thing just wasn't intuitive to me. Yeah, it, it's got different modes on the top left. So you go from like select mode to, to edit mode, etc. Um, I found it a bit jumpy when I started it. It seemed to be moving forward like a few seconds at a time, which I wasn't really used to. I was used to being, being able to be quite precise. Um, it takes a little bit of getting used to the interface, I'd say, but once you get used to it, um, it's not too bad at all. I do tend to, to only really, with that, um, top and tail things, just to take sort of the, the overhang off at the beginning, um, where there's like nothing, and then a little bit at the end, um, and it works perfectly. The thing with it is, 
it allows you to edit the M4As losslessly without converting them. Um, what you'd what you'd find when I used to edit um, MP3s on Goldwave, you had to open it up, and it would do this reading it in. And as it was reading it in, it was converting it to a file format that it could edit. You then edited, and then when it came to save it out, it had to convert it back again. So every job took five times longer than the actual little edit that you were making. Uh, what I well, why I'm using it like that is um, if I record something um, like streaming, I want to be able to have good quality audio, which would usually be AIFF. But I also want to be able to put some metadata in there as well. So um, if I use lossless M4A, then I've got a file that's good quality and has the metadata in it. But then I've got the problem of trying to edit it. It's the length of time it would take to edit. And Fission reduces that problem completely because it edits them and doesn't need to convert them. So it's worth taking that little bit of extra time and getting your head around the interface specifics on that one. But if what you've got is um, file formats that you're prepared to change, then you need what Mike's going to be looking at, which is Audio Hub. Yeah, I'll, I'll come back to Audio Hub in a minute. I was, I was just going to say that uh, Amadeus Pro is the one that I use just for um, cutting bits off the end, cutting bits off the beginning, and maybe cutting bits out in the middle. Um, I mentioned a few weeks ago the website Munich 58 that we run, and back in February I was recording a lot of um, radio programmes, uh, just for my own personal use, of course, and I just cut off the beginnings and the ends of that. Yeah, there was something that you were doing in that as well. I think if you play it back, say like um, on, on a radio programme that you play back later, I think to save on the bandwidth, a lot of these Listen Again um, services make them mono. So it literally was coming out of only one speaker. Now, I can't take that and, and turn it into real stereo but at least what you can do and i think i did it for you in amadeus pro was you can take what's coming out of one speaker you can duplicate it so it does at least come out of both and gives the impression of a stereo broadcast that's right yeah i remember and i, I used amadeus for that so um it, it was very useful for that so i do tend to just keep fission for topping and tailing m4a files yeah, the thing that I was going to talk about is uh, a new program, relatively new program, called Audial Hub, uh, and it's from the same company that make Visual Hub. Now, Visual Hub allows you to con convert one type of video file to another. So, for example, you might want to convert uh, a MOV file to an AVI file. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of my colleagues uh, wanted me to convert a CD track uh, to an MP3. Now, there's several things you can do that with. You can do that with uh, iTunes, for example. But as I had this Audio Hub installed and I hadn't really used it, I thought I'd give that a go. Itching for an excuse, you mean? It to is. Give it a try. An excuse to, to try it, yes. I want to have as many audio uh, editors as you've got. Hmm. And one day, maybe you will. Hmm. Of course, this isn't an audio editor. Uh, it's it's a very, very simple uh, concept. You fire up the program and you uh, have an interface and you literally drag and drop the files from Finder or some other location like your desktop onto the interface. Step two, you choose the format that you want to convert from. Uh, you've got MP3, AAC, WMA, AIFF, WAV, Apple Lossless. You can even burn an MP3 or audio CD. You just select the option from the menu. You select the location for where you want the converted files to be saved and you click start. 
and uh, that's pretty much it. It sounds as simple and as intuitive as Visual Hub. It really is as simple as intuitive as, as Visual Hub, yeah. Uh, there's a number of other options that you've got as well. You can stitch files together. Now, I think you mentioned that before with... Um, the other package Amadeus Pro didn't you? Yes I, I did I have been doing it with that and that's the one that takes a long time. I also tried it um, on Audio Hub just to, to give it a go really. I had some mp3 files that I wanted to convert to um, audiobook format so I wanted to convert them to m4a's but I also wanted them all stitched together. When I dragged and dropped them into Audio Hub two of them had a question mark next to them and I thought well, that's strange why is that there when I went back to the finder and had a look um, there was a file size but it was reporting that these two mp3 files were damaged in some way um, but I could play them I could play them from start to finish there was nothing actually missing so obviously there was something either wrong with the metadata or there was part of the file damaged um, so I thought, oh, it'll probably fail then. But by the time I'd realised, I'd already started the process. And um, it did take a little bit longer to convert the two files with the question marks, but it did convert them and it put them, you know, it made them into a single file, which I thought was pretty good going. It was obviously struggling with them. It probably had to read through at a lower level, but it did it. It was completely successful. That's great. Other things that you can do with um, Audial Hub, other options you've got. Um, when the conversion's done, you can tell it what to do. So you, you can get it to automatically add them to your iTunes library. You can get it to just open up the destination folder in Finder. You can even get it to put the computer to sleep or uh, shut the computer down. Now, although Audio Hub is designed for regular file conversion, it can also actually act as a CD ripper. All you do is drag the AIFF files from the audio CD, drop them into Audio Hub, and if you have iTunes open, Audio Hub will grab, even grab the tag information that iTunes has compiled and will use that in the converted files. And something else that's super cool is that if you drag a video file into Audio Hub, such as a, a MOV file, for example, you can actually extract just the audio track. Oh, now I've heard a lot of people mentioning doing that. And what they were doing with it, they had sort of an audio file, um, a video file. They were playing it through QuickTime and then trying to grab it with Audio Hijack. So you wouldn't need to do that, would you? You wouldn't know. Um, you literally just drag and drop and uh, jobs are good, as they say. A couple of other things that I've found useful, uh, you can actually pause and resume the conversion. So for, for whatever reason you needed to pause, there is the option. And there's something called assembly line mode. And all that happens there is Audio Hub will sit running in the background, waiting for files to be added to the list. So uh, if you drag uh, and drop a file or a set of files, and you can do it just by dragging it onto the Audio Hub icon into the dock, as soon as you do, it will start the conversion. So it's quite useful, for example, if maybe you receive files throughout the day and you need to convert them all into the same format you don't have to keep firing up Audio Hub every time. Now in terms of prices, uh, it's, it's approximately £10. It's priced in dollars, but it's approximately £10. You can get Visual Hub and Audio Hub together for £20. And for $14, which is currently about £7, you can get Audio Hub on its own if you already own Visual Hub. Which was the option we went for. It was, so I think that's a great piece of software. Yep, it certainly is from what I've tried with it. Um, it's worked flawlessly, even fixed my two broken files. 
Um, there is an alternative to it that I had a look at because um, I, I saw that it had been updated and it's called Sound Converter and it seemed to do a similar job. Um, now I say seemed to because I didn't even bother downloading it and trying it because um, as I say, it is an alternative to Audio Hub and it's cross-platform, there's a Windows version and it's only $14 per machine. So the good points were that it was um, relatively inexpensive. It's actually free for any files that are under 500k as well. And there's free updates for life for the machine that you install it on. However, <laughs> you know there's a however. <laughs> oh yes, there is indeed a big, big bad but. One of the bad points which killed it for me was activation gone mad. The activation's based on, uh, they call it an Ethernet address. I assume they mean your MAC address, your machine's MAC address. And they say it's to prevent piracy. Your license cannot be transferred um, from machine to machine under any circumstance. So straight up. That's ridiculous. Straight away, exactly. I'm thinking, ah, well, my mic's logic board exploded. You know, it does happen. These things happen. Um, they will transfer it if your logic board explodes, but they want documentation to prove it. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I mean, I hate activation to start with. Um, it's bad enough with something like Creative Suite, which um, is understandable up to a point. That must be one of the most pirated pieces of software. And I, for one, went out and bought it. So, you know, if I'm paying for it, I don't want other people running around for a fiver. But the activation, and, and they are very generous considering the price of it that you can activate Creative Suite on two machines at the same time. Uh, this thing, $14, and they're not even trusting you to activate it on two machines, it's strictly one. Creative Suite though, where, where you know, it proves the point with the activation being a really bad system, there is a 20 activation limit. So you can activate and deactivate Creative Suite, you know, you just say activate, you just say deactivate. Nowhere did it tell you that there's this 20 limit. But I was listening to InDesign Secrets and somebody had written into them and mentioned it and they hadn't heard of it either. So all told, I'm not actually really sold on the concept of activation. But at least Adobe are allowing you to transfer from machine to machine. In fact, I might choose to deactivate one of my installations and then install it on a, a test machine I'm going out training with and then come back home, deactivate on that training machine and reactivate mine. So it's fairly flexible apart from this 20 limit. Um, but I think that's ridiculous. I'm more likely to do business with a company like, um, just for example, Agile Web Solutions who make one password. They often have discounts, they do special offers a lot with Maxot, and they've just updated, uh, we've got a family license, and they've just updated that license from three seats to five at no cost. So they've just decided that they're not going to do three seat family licenses anymore, they'll be five seat. But all the people who have a three seat license, it's just upgraded to five, no, no charge. Now that you can do business with. And another example is um, Keith over at Scrivener. You buy a single license for Scrivener, and I'm immediately thinking, well, you know, I've got two Macs, I better get in touch and find out what the licensing is. And it's simple. It's just a simple license. A single license is a household license. Install it as many times as you like, as long as it's your machine. You know, you don't have to activate, there's no transfer in business. It makes life easier for him, makes life easier for me. I'm more likely to recommend software like that, so they'll surely get referred sales. Whereas this thing, $14 and it's per machine and there's no transfer and you can't do this and you can't do that. I'm not even going to download and try it. So 
totally bad idea to me. But if you are desperate and $14 and you only want one machine, then do we'll put the um, URL in the show notes. We'll probably get sued for all that now. But uh, my opinion, I'm, I'm not fond of um, activation. So that is uh, this week's MacBytes rant, I think. Yes, I-, I want rant of the week for that, thank you. I have to agree, a big thumbs down for activation. The, the whole area of licensing is is, is fraught with... Uh, is is fraught with i don't know difficulties difficulties issues. yes thank you issues yes um well let's move on shall we yeah shall we, shall we leave my rant behind <laughs> yeah yeah we'll move on to comments and feedback we will and we, we've actually had our first audio comment haven't we we have we have after my challenge to gazmas last week um he sent us a file so uh three two one here you go gazmas So, Mike and Elaine, you laid down the gauntlet of sending in an audio piece. So being the type of person who likes to take on a challenge, I had to think long about what I could ask you. So, I thought I'd ask you for your views rather than asking a question. So, here we go. With the Trojan horses that were reported recently, do you think that Apple will have to keep on top of these issues? Or do you think that they will leave this to third-party developers like Indigo? Yes, I know that the recent Trojans could be fixed relatively easily. But the question is still a generic one. And one that I think a lot of people would like to know the answer to. So, there you go. If I think of any more questions or views, I'll perhaps send them in. And... Perhaps this will encourage a few other people to have a go. Great show. Keep it up. Thanks very much. See ya. Right, that was a great question. That certainly got us thinking. Ooh, um, I don't like to need antivirus software at all. Um, It kind of crept up on us, I think, from... You get a computer, you bring it home. Way back in the day, um, when I got my first PC, I didn't even have internet access, so the only thing I had to really worry about was floppy disks or CDs that came in, and I didn't even have any CDs then either. I think it was that long ago it was pre-CD. It was probably um, a Valve set, looking back. But uh, I only really had to worry about things that I deliberately did. Nothing was going to sneak in the back door. And then... As things got you know, progressively worse, viruses were more common, you were online more, you realised that you were going to have to have some software and you sort of installed it. And then on top of that, there was your Adware type software. Um, and it just sort of grew. The amount of protection that you needed just grew and grew until it got to ridiculous proportions. You certainly couldn't rely on the manufacturer when it was Windows. Um but it's all about trust, and on a Mac, I think I'd trust Apple more than a third party. I certainly would, yeah. Um, I always wonder with these antivirus software manufacturers whether they are ever tempted to release anything nasty just to boost sales. I mean, if there's no virus panic, then there's no sales. Oh, now you're getting controversial. Uh, this is after my rant, you say. Mm. Well, I mean, I look back to a good few years ago, but the I love you virus and, and all other stuff... It was really fantastic promotion um, opportunities for these virus companies. If they can, make, if there is a virus out there that's getting that much publicity, then they've got free publicity on the back of it. Um, so I, I'd rather, as things stand at the moment, I'd rather Apple took care of it, um, even though 
like I say, when it's Windows, no, I'd rather have a third party one. Um, I think it's because I, I think of the Mac as being inherently um, secure and that Apple probably know it better and anything third party could have problems. Yeah, I've found one of the problems I've found at work is the the speed of um, the the way it slows down your machine, uh, particularly a Windows machine. It will slow everything down. Um, the, the, we've got some some um, virus software that runs in the background, and and your machine just slows to a crawl. And even on my MacBook, when I'm running AVG on Vista and I'm not connected to the internet or I'm not connected to any network. Um, AVG just pops up and it takes an age before I can actually click cancel to, to stop it actually running. Yeah, it does definitely slow everything down. Um, I've, I've had those problems myself. And now it's not just limited to your machine. Um, I've read a few things this week about AVG. They've recently re released version 8 of their antivirus software and it's the one I've always used. Um, but now it's causing concern regarding the amount of internet traffic that it's generating. And what's happening is it's sending extra pings or requests to sites before returning their content to the browser requesting it. And it's doing it so much it's skewing visitor stats for these sites, sometimes severely. Um, but it was discoverable. Um, initially that's how people found out that it was AVG that was doing it because um, as every request is sent it has an identifying string with it usually saying what browser is sending the request um, but this string that they used was unique to AVG virus so they knew that the traffic was generated via AVG um, the site admins at that point could at least with their stats look at it and filter out any AVG generated traffic but later in the week, AVG changed their identifier to be a generic IE6 string. So now it's very difficult to separate out their traffic from anybody else's. And obviously that's got a negative impact on the general speed of the internet because there's all this traffic flying around that's like just double traffic. It's not actually traffic returning anything. And also, if you think about it, the website's paying for the bandwidth. The website's hosting the content that these people are trying to access. You know, could go over their bandwidth limit and be end up paying for it because AVG is pinging everything three and four times, which I just think is ridiculous. You know, bad enough it slows down an individual machine, but this is actually now having a negative impact on the whole internet potentially. There were some great graphs and charts in this piece that I read on the register showing just how much traffic was involved and it was scary. So um, I'll, I'll dig that URL out and put it in the show notes. Uh, I know we've had fun with uh, various security measures, haven't we? We have. Do you remember Zone Alarm? Oh, yes. And we didn't even use it. No, but uh, on, our, on the website that we, we set up for our, our Northwest uh, Trainers Group, uh, we had a, a database, which was, uh, we had a page query in a database. And when some people actually ran a query, it came back with uh, no results. And we were sure that those results should be coming back. Well, we um, handled the, the fact if there was no results, they'd get a page saying so. Yeah. And they weren't even seeing that, were they? they weren't anyway it it took a while to track that one down but we spoke to a couple of people who had told us they were getting nothing back and the common thing they had was that they were running zone alarm yeah so it was just obviously intercepting the traffic which was just search results it was just plain text in a browser it wasn't even graphics and just totally not displaying it so um we're definitely not fans of uh, virus software but uh, 
if we're going to have to have it at the moment I'd rather Apple did it because I've seen the mess that other people cause. Yeah, I would second that, definitely. Anyway, Gaz, what you didn't tell us was what your opinion was. So let's hear what your opinion is. And as uh, Gaz said in his piece, um, he challenges the rest of you now. So uh, hopefully you'll uh, all be thinking at least of sending in some comments and uh, maybe even a video clip, uh, an audio clip. You can send a video clip if you like, <laughs> but maybe an audio clip. Anyway, moving on to events. We have some events. Um, the Northwest Mac User Group are having a meeting. The next one is the 10th of July. That's the day before iPhone Day. iPhone, iPhone, iPhone. Oh, that, that's two in a week. Well, that's excessive, <laughs> that. Anyway, uh, do you think anybody's going to go or do you think they're all going to be in the queue? Oh, they'll all be in the queue. How early will we be queuing? It depends, I think, when what time they're releasing it, doesn't it? I prefer it in the evening because I work on... Uh, West Coast time, but that's me. But never mind, maybe I won't have gone to bed if it's in the morning. But uh, Tim and John are trying a different format for the Mac user group for this meeting. Several shorter talks rather than one long one. And uh, they're going to put details on the website at nwmug.co.uk. Okay, the Geek Ups. Uh, two Geek Ups to tell you about. One is on the 2nd of July at 6pm, and that is at the Fat Cat on Alma Street, Sheffield. Uh, topics are using metrics to encourage agility, idiot's guide to getting your first certification, and hardware hacking. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Shame we're not near a Sheffield. It does sound interesting. Mm. Um, although it'll probably take us less time to get to Sheffield than travel into the centre of Manchester. Oh, true, yes, I've been caught in the traffic for several mm. hours doing that. Well, it's 12 miles for the uninitiated. Geek Up uh, Manchester uh, is happening on the 8th of July at 6pm, and that's at the Rain Bar, Castlefield, Manchester. More details for that can be found on geekup.org. And we have heard rumours from a rumour site that the Apple Store in Liverpool is opening in the first week of July. Oh my word, that's next week. But it's not been confirmed. Now, for your information, most openings have been a Saturday, but Cambridge opened on a Thursday. So what we're looking for is anybody with any more information than that. We need to know. We can't miss this one. It's um, about, what, 35, 40 miles away? About 35 miles. So we need to be there. Oh, can you imagine if it was next week? Mm. That would be cool. I think they should give us more notice than this. I was hoping it would be iPhone day, must admit. Um, and then we, we could go over there, two birds, one stone and a nice iPhone. But there you go. We're not sure yet, but uh, at least it sounds like it's coming together. So it shouldn't be much longer. Well, let's wait and see. All will be revealed next week, I think. Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. And as we've said, we'd love to hear from you. So please send your questions, your comments and your queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com or even send us an audio file. And you've got no excuse now that Gasmas has set the ball rolling. Yep, and we've explained the ins and outs of all the audio software. Mm. You can keep up to date with what we're doing via Twitter at MacBytes, Plurk with MacBytes, or you can subscribe to the RSS feed at macbytes.co.uk. So until the next time, this has been Mike Thomas and Elaine Charles bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye and see you next time. Goodbye.